We are here today at Break Day Quarter Horses with Kate Elliott. Kate has kindly agreed uh, to be my very first guest on the Cocktail Cowgirl podcast. So thanks so much, Kate, for having us. Oh, absolute pleasure. Welcome to Break Day. We have the perfect day. We are two horse trainers sitting here inside out of the rain. So <laughs> yeah. perfect day for a podcast. Yeah, I thought we'd get, come and drink some cocktails. It's not really cocktail drinking weather, but I'm sure we'll still make it happen. Um, so Kate... For those that don't know who you are, I think anyone that's in the quarter horse industry, you they'd be hard to not know who you are. Um, but just you know, introduce yourself um, and and what you do here. And um, there, yeah, sure. Breakaway is a sort of multifaceted business. We breed, train, coach, compete, um, judge as well, and also educate. Perfect. And how long have you been here at the property in Glenburn? We've been in Glenburn since 2002, and I'm pretty sure the year that we moved here was as wet as this one is right yeah. now. <laughs> it's definitely very wet out there. Um, so we were just chatting before you You guys obviously run a massive operation here. How many horses have you got in work at the moment? Um, I actually couldn't tell you how many we have in work. <laughs> I, I know how many we're feeding <laughs> because it's been just me over the, over the holidays. So we're responsible for 53 horses. That is a lot of horses. So are they, you know, horses in work, uh, brood mares, like what, what are those horses, what are they here for? Okay, so um, both Lana and I train out of here. We're two trainers operating out of break day. Lana runs LJK show horses here. Uh, Lana's my oldest daughter. Um, so we have a training component. We usually have anywhere between 10 and 12 horses in work each. So I've been able to continue with some of those over the break. Um, no one likes a fresh horse, so I figure if I'm feeding them, I may as well be riding them. Um, so we've also got breeding stock as well, so both a stallion and also carry mares and foals, and we also fall down for other people too. So we've had that going on as well. Yeah, so you've got a lot, a lot happening here. Um, so let's take it back a little bit. We, I want to know where did Kate Elliott start? what drove you to, to sort of get to where you are today. So did you come from a horsey family at all? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I just had a natural affinity with horses. And I actually remember probably as young as five or six, just how being around a horse made me feel, just this, this sense of freedom. Um, I, I think they're the most beautiful animal on earth. Um, even to the point where now, you know, I've gone to the extent of under, trying to understand form to function and recognising those little legs that love getting injured are so <laughs> fine and delicate because it's such a large body that they run on and how athletic and dynamic they are and how their body system puts them at risk. We, we all know about leg injuries. Yeah. But, you know, that is the beauty, beauty and the athleticism of the animal. Yeah, they are very spectacular. So did you, um, as a kid, go to riding schools, you know, cousins, that, what did you do? Okay, um, cousins, yes. <laughs> cousins had a farm yeah. and uh, quite often, like most Australian kids of my era, we just jumped the fence and jumped on a horse mm -hmm. and um, slapped them on the hindquarters and laughed until you fell off and whoever <laughs> could stay on for the most amount of metres yeah. was, was the winner. Yeah. So that was probably the start of it. I guess I might have won a few of those races, <laughs> um, but my cousins were pretty good too. Then after that, really, just the only option in Australia was trail riding schools. Yeah. Um, and I'd just hang around and hang around until I kind of got a job there. So was that in Melbourne? Are you from yeah, Victoria? From, Victor yeah. from Victoria. So we grew up in Wonga Park. Um, so we had, you know, Warrandyte Riding School, the Kavanaugh's that, that ran that, which is where I originally met you. Mm -hmm. And something that I returned to later on as well. Yeah. 
um, coming back as a coach in the industry, but yeah, just absolutely love riding. And, you know, back then things were a little bit different. The, um, all the horses there were purchased from the market. <laughs> That they were, even when I went there. <laughs> For health reasons or behavioural reasons, yeah. um, sometimes both. And, you know, it was our job to educate those horses to get them to where they were safe enough to put clients on. Mm. I'm not even sure they had insurance back then. You know, mm. I couldn't stand the thought of operating without it now. No. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's funny you say that because that was when I was a kid at the riding school where I met you. Um, probably a little bit different to now, but yeah, all those horses came out of the Achuca sales, every, everything. And not to say that they were bad horses, but that's where they all came from. And I think that as kids, we learnt to ride and, and ride pretty efficiently because you didn't want to fall off. You didn't want to be seen as weak or whatever. You wanted to, you know, I can ride anything and you would ride anything. And we developed yeah, our skills in a probably different way to what kids are now, I think, a little bit. It's, it's a different... Uh, yeah, very different world, I think, to when you yeah, and I started. You never really knew what you were getting on. No. And you made a lot of mistakes. You know, one of the biggest mistakes mm. I made was finishing at the day on a horse I'd been riding all day, thought I'd carry some bridles on my shoulder bareback to go and take them up to the tack room and the horses were all tied up in a square and I'm pretty sure this horse took me under every tied-up horse. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, that instinct of don't let go of the bridles despite everyone calling out. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, that's, yep. <laughs> I think I ended up on the ground holding those bridles. <laughs> So, um, like many kids, I, I think, in, a, in Australia, like growing up, English riding, to me, as a kid, that was pretty much the only option. Like I said, trail riding schools, as a kid, we only had pony club. I didn't know anything about Western riding or um, know anyone that did it or how you would be able to get into it. They don't have riding schools that are Western specific, or they maybe do now, but um, what took you down that uh, that path sort of out of the English riding and into where you are now? With a non-horsey family, the only option was to work with horses. There was no recreation with horses. Mm -hmm. If you want to be with horses, then you work with them and you find your own way. And unfortunately, I think that really backfired them. I think they thought that if I had to work, I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> but, I, you know, it just made me so passionate and I, and I think that ethic, that work ethic now still holds true. Yeah. <clears throat> so was there a... Um uh, like a coach that you rode under as a kid that you, you know, re like that really resonates with you as someone that inspired you or did you just, you just had a burning desire yourself to keep at it or? I just continued to work. So yeah, I wasn't given the opportunity to go to Pony Club, which at the time I thought was going to be the biggest detriment to my <laughs> professional career. But it turns out, you know, I was a self-learner and, and watched and learned. And I guess I learned from the horses most of all, like the story with holding onto the bridles, don't carry extra equipment that you don't need while you're up there. <laughs> and let go of it if your horse takes off. <laughs> Absolutely. So definitely a self-learner. Um, as I progressed a little further on, so going from working through riding schools um, within that local area, then a lot of the um, hunt club then asked me to work horses for them, keep them fit during the week. Um, then I sort of moved on and met John and Jill Farnham. They were also looking for someone to work their horses and I'd never ridden quarter horses before, which was the introduction to the quarter horses. Um, so, yeah, working for them and continued to do that as well, going through university and, and maintained that passion for horses and the work with horses. Finished my degree and, you know, as I was directed, you know, from an academic family, you know, you need to stay at school, you need to do a degree if you ever want to be somebody. But actually, I was somebody all along and I think I've also shared that now with my own children as they're now choosing their own professional careers. Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really cool. Um, so you, you mentioned there you worked for the Farnhams. Is it Pine Lodge? 
No, no, that was um, your thinking of their property out in Goolong. So I worked at their own residence with their own yep. personal horses and worked on their fitness. Oh, perfect. So did they, you hadn't ridden quarter horses before that time. Who coached you along there? when you started or was it a sink or swim kind of thing? They introduced me to Norm Fisher. He yep. was a, a local Western trainer in Wonga Park. And um, for those of you who knew and met Norm, he was a tough guy. But, you know, it didn't matter when you were passionate about something, you, you wanted that knowledge and you didn't care how hard and fast it came. Mm -hmm. So he certainly introduced me to some of the Western principles and show principles. Um, also met friends along the way too and admired and respected and observed them. Uh, Jill said to me, Kate, if you, if you like these quarter horses, why don't you go down to Yarra Valley Quarter Horse Association and sit down on the fence and watch the whole day? So I stayed there for most of the day and uh, the event at the end of the day lit my eyes up. What was that event? Raining. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my next question. Was that So back, I assume in those days, um, and I wasn't showing quarter horses then, but everyone tells me that you had one horse that did all of the, all of the classes. It wasn't so much of a... You know, you have your reigning specific horse and your Western Pleasure horse and your cutting horse. They they did everything. Was that what it was like back then? There was certainly a lot of diversity. Um, I only had reigners there. We didn't have ranch riding. I think that would have it's been a great area of growth too. We didn't have that then, but I think that probably would have been something that I would have done. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, mostly just had reigners. Um, it wasn't until I had Lana that she then, after reigning, started expressing some interest in Youth World Cup. Um, and wanted to experience some of the other events that I sort of went with the principle of the family that plays together stays together. Yeah. And ended up going across into the all-round as well. And yeah. really enjoy both. Yeah. No, that's really, really interesting. Um, so moving on from working for the Farnhams, where did you go next? Okay, so about that time would have been um, when I had Lana. We, um, Lana's father and I would go up to Max McTaggart's. Yep. Um, so extending on my ability to work with horses, you know, Max taught us how to break horses in mm -hmm. and, you know, was um, probably one of the people that gave me confidence in myself, you know, and he didn't say much, but just, you know, riding in the round pen one day, Max said to me, Kate, you're a good hand. <laughs> And that meant a lot. That was enough to inspire me to take that further. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's such a reminder to always be positive with people. And if you think something good, say it. Yeah. It can make the world a difference to someone when you're positive. Yeah, definitely. And I know um, Max McTaggart over the years, there's so many fantastic horse trainers that you know, learnt under him. And he sounds like he was a very influential person to a lot of people that went on to really be successful. So you know, it's no surprise that you went on to, to do what you did if you were training with someone like him. Max also showed a really strong interest in the people as well that, that he trained. He was really personable and in that way I think he was a great businessman. Mm -hmm. And he also shared the principle that, you know, the industry is a triangle and that it's very big at the bottom and, and to keep your focus all the way through, you know, as, as we strive as professionals always for the top, but to remember that triangle, and I think it's a really good business principle. He probably ne never realised what a great businessman he was. Mm. Um, but I think that's a great principle, you know, in keeping a holistic perspective on the industry that every rookie is important, as is every million-dollar rider. That's why I say you pass the same people on the way up as you do on the way down, don't you? For sure. So... Um how old were you when you had Lana? I was 25 when I had Lana. Mm. So it was already raining um, prior to that. Um, in fact, I think I put one of my first horses in work while I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so that, like, you know, you think now Lana's is she 25 now? Yes, she is. Yeah, so it's crazy to think that, yeah, at her, like your, when you were her age, you were, 
you know, about to have your first child. And um, what, for you as a horse trainer, like, what sacrifices did you have to make to, you know, to manage and juggle all those things to keep, like, we all know horse trainer wage isn't, you know, we're not, we don't do it because we want to become millionaires. Um, how did you make that work? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that our income doesn't cover our costs. <laughs> I'm pretty 100% <laughs> sure that's true. So I, I think there's a lot of things that we learned to do, and I'm actually really appreciative that our parents experienced some of the end of that depression. Mm. Um, clothes from op shops, lots of rice as the base for meals. <laughs> um, you know, pick things up and use them again rather than throw them away. Yeah. Um, you can go without to, you know, for an entry. I think we all know what we've sacrificed for an entry fee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, the entry fees, they keep getting dearer and dearer, uh -huh. that's for sure. So um, Lana, as a baby, expressed the same passion for horses. Was it one of those things that she, you know, it was there and available to her so she did it or do you think she has that bug like the rest of us? I'm pretty sure now that her crying arena side <laughs> for attention probably <laughs> was let me on rather than just mum get off. Ah, yeah. yeah. So, so Lana sort of was raised in a pram or in a playpen alongside of the arena or, or the slide track mm -hmm. um, and she watched, you know, every horse go up and down almost like a tennis match. Mm -hmm. Then um, there'll be plenty of people that I've coached that will listen to this and, and laugh out loud while they're listening to it. Lana had a fantastic half pass at about the age of four or five. <laughs> you know, back in the day while I'd be coaching to keep her entertained, she would be mirroring, shadowing the horse that I was coaching. So Lana could do turnarounds, she could half pass <laughs> and lead change and do all sorts of you know, high level manoeuvres. Um, to the point that when Lana went to primary school, they rang me at the end of sports day and said, um, Kate, you're going to have to teach Lana to run. She can only canter. <laughs> I am guilty of that too. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, that's unreal because it, it often, you know, I know growing up we had friends who went to pony club with or whatever and their parents were horsey and, and provided them with all the opportunity and sometimes it was probably not appreciated as much by those kids that it was so accessible to. So, you know, to see that she's still so driven and, and it was just that natural, you know, love and desire to to be around horses like what you had. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, probably plays into her being such a successful horsewoman because she does genuinely love horses. It's not just a, you know, it, obviously it's a business, but she genuinely loves horses. She, she certainly does. And I remember even at the age of six, and I'm not quite sure because I've never ever coached anyone at the age of six that can tell the difference between a left lead and a right lead at the canter. Nice. But she knew and she would stop her pony and back it up and turn it and go again until she got it Give right. Give it what for? That's unreal. So Lana, let's we'll touch on Lana a little bit while we're here. So she is only young in the grand scheme of things, but to me she's an old soul. It's like she's been here before. She's kind of mature beyond her her years um like is that has she been like that from the get-go i think it's reflecting also of you know she was raised in a single parent family a very hard working one to provide the opportunity and i i think she saw how the opportunities were created for her mm -hmm. um, and she also has had to contribute to that work as well yeah so i think she's very appreciative of of that um, she's very humble. I think she'd even hate the idea that we're even talking about her oh, so early in this podcast. Very much so. <laughs> she will hate it. <laughs> but so she, you know, for those that maybe don't know, Lana, Lana Kelderman, 
I am going to go out on a limb and say she's probably been the mo- one of the most successful female reigning trainers in Australia, you know, in the last 10 years, not to take away from your own accomplishments and others. But, you know, um, with your stud horse knew too much um, and wizen at me, the performances that she's had on those two horses have been, you know, next level. And then to see the futurity horses that you guys are producing and each one that comes out every single time, it's like, wow, wow, wow. And she just shows with such professionalism, such conviction. She just loves, like, my fondest memory of Lana was at Equitana when she came out and she won the Equitana reigning masters champion. But she came out of that run and she cried and she was hugging her horse and she just said to me, that horse just gave me his whole heart and she genuinely meant it. And it was, you know, you were all there. It was just, yeah, I just don't think that's a, a... a common horse trainer trait. Like I think even if she came out and came last and that horse performed for her, she would still feel exactly the same. And and I look at that and I'm like, well, like that she's a, a true horsewoman. There's there's a beautiful connection between all of us and even if you you can probably see my eyes are watering <laughs> even you know it was uh, a very mo- I, I quite teared up a little bit because I yeah I just I was so it was amazing like it was a really special moment. Uh, Lana and I have a, an incredible connection and we do with the horses that we breed as well you know they're, they're part of our lives they're every part of our world and it was it was a glance shared between all of us you know the, the colt and lana looked at me as soon as she came out of the pen and mm-hmm. you're absolutely right that's i'm so glad you were standing close by and could see that you look a little teary too oh yeah <laughs> it was though it was a really yeah it was a really emotional moment because i just yeah i think from you know having seen her grow up not that i've seen her grow up per se but like i remember her as a kid you used to bring her to ponyland yes. and we used to lead her around on a bay shetland pony Yes. Of, do you know what I mean? Like, so I remember her from being a little kid to, to then progress and to do that. And, um, yeah, it's just um, I, I just think she's a really special person. She is a beautiful person. And, you know, there's so many qualities in her that I, I don't have any of and totally admire. And constantly, you know, we're all learning and I, I learn so much from her as well. And I think a lot of um, the, the AQHA Youth World Cup, program has contributed so much to her professionalism in the show pen because her her seat and her mannerisms exceeds mine um, and I'm so proud of her for that and I think you know the programs that she's been involved with and you know te- uh, coaching and um, competing on that world stage level has brought that to her mm. and she's always given that back you know to her colleagues as well that she shows with you know everything that she knows she shares and everything that that they do, she watches and absorbs and learns. So, you know, she can take that information and share it with others. And she's very inspiring because of that. And again, she would absolutely hate to hear. Oh, yeah, she's going to cringe. <laughs> she's going to turn this off. But that's okay. We'll, we'll happily talk about her. Um, so going back to the involvement with the Youth World Cup, and I, and I had a conversation with her once um, and we were talking about her doing that. And she just said, I am so grateful that you actually put her into those situations and allowed her to have that opportunity because she that's what she said it was really what helped develop her you know to be able to do what she can do and that you can see even though she's a phenomenal rainer you guys go out and you do the ranch you do pleasure you do trail and those horses are so diverse and so broke for a better word joey and it's um yeah, there's not a lot of up, I don't think to the level that you guys are doing. There's not a lot of other people in Australia that are that are producing horses like that. And um, yeah, I, I know 
more kids should get involved in those those types of programs. So what other students have you mentored to to into those AQHA World Cup situations and where have they gone on from there? Okay, so we... Um, I have a very strong youth program. You know, I always think that knowledge is something to be shared and encourage youth to come through um, Youth World Cup, reigning AQHA programs. And we also offer internships as well. I love producing professionals. I, I think the more professionals, the more clients, the bigger the industry is, the more growth, and the more people get to share this passion that, that we have. Um, so where, where does that start? I, I guess it starts with having a lesson on a school horse, um, <clears throat> then developing further interest in, and finding a horse for yourself and going out and showing with your coach and with the support of colleagues, getting out to shows, and then there's now international programs for all of these kids to go and be involved in. So there's the, the Youth World Cup where they travel to, you know, whichever country's hosting. What is involved in doing that? Like, do they go over and compete in all the different events or are they showing in a number of events? So the coach will decide three events for them. Mm -hmm. um, there's usually two riders in each of those events. Um, there's also the Trans-Tasman, which is Australia versus New Zealand. The youth selected into those teams will compete in each of the five events. That's really cool. So what are the different events in that World Cup? So the World Cup generally will be a horsemanship um, trail. They tend not to do pleasure just because, you know, the pleasure is a little bit restricted to the ability of the horse mm -hmm. and the program really tries to showcase the rider's ability. Um, ranch riding's recently been included into that as well as the reining. Yeah, cool. And I, I think the horses that Lana rode through youth were not finished horses. I purposely wanted her to be part of that training program. Um, and there's been many times as people watch Lana as a developing writer saying, you know, she really, she really should be on a national champion. And my answer was always she's producing national champions. Yeah. And I, I think one of the, Lana's biggest strengths, again, is that whatever you told her that she couldn't do, that's what she did. So we had a, a lovely little youth horse for her that was by Doc's Crack and Oak. Um, and obviously he was cutting bread. Uh, he was originally Gold Phobus nominated for the cutting faturities and was an extra horse for someone. We purchased him as a reiner. He was a fairly reactive sort of a horse um, and Lana had her eyes set on him. <laughs> that was the one she wanted? That was the one she wanted, so I had to wait for him to prove himself and, and he did do that and she took him over. And as a cutting horse, you can imagine he really wasn't suited to the pleasure pen, but as soon as someone said, Lana, that horse will never pleasure, well, that's what she set her heart on. And, and as a junior youth, 7 to 11, <laughs> that's what she chased. Yeah, right. And I'm pretty sure she nearly got a national title in just about every different discipline on that horse. And I think some of those skills that we learnt working with those horses from Echuca Sale Yards, you know, we, we <laughs> yeah. learnt how to make something out of nothing. Out of nothing. <laughs> and, and I think now, you know, we... Even in the show pen now, you know, everything looks rhythmic and perfect and looks like we're not even guiding mm. as if the horse already knows the pattern. But there's a lot of negotiation going on. There's, you know, those, that infinite balance of hand, seat and leg. There's a lot of conversations happening between those three things that you just don't ever get to see. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as we tear up, we are emotionally connected to them. You know, we're very respectful, uh, you know, of the animal. Um, what their capacity is and what they're willing to do and really try and get inside the horse. So you're involved with a lot of coaching here at Break A Day and you also um, do a lot of teaching through the high school school students. They did the equine studies course here. Looking at um, people coming into riding now, I, I was reading something the other day which I actually found quite interesting that I don't feel like people are putting in as much effort 
in what you just said about that hand, seat and leg, those foundations that you need to learn, you know, the rising trot, ride without stirrups, all of those bits and pieces, it's like, are you noticing that with the younger generation coming through that they're not, or maybe they are, um, wanting to put in those foundations to really get to that, you know, elite level or that, you know, competent level, even as a, as a general horse rider, not necessarily a horse trainer, but that's something I see uh, lacking a lot. Um, but, you know, from your perspective, what do you think about that? Oh, that, that is the foundation that, you know, your centre of gravity and your balance, you cannot control your aids, which should be graduated and smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't control them if you can't control your balance. So, yeah. you know, you really should be able to you know, canter without stirrups, canter without a saddle, stop and roll back. Mm. Um, we're a little bit limited with our coaching in terms of insurance now is that we can't take risks anymore. But yeah. both you and I, we would have had to have jumped barrels with our arms stuck out the side with no bridle on. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was some of the stuff we used to do was wild. But it's it's interesting looking at the different horse disciplines um, in, the, in the Western realm, I guess, you know, the, the pleasure, all the AQHA events, like you've got to have – you know, equitation is a big part of it. You know, as reiners, we're not judged on style per se, but your ability to allow your horse to perform at his best is going to be dictated by your ability to, to go with them. I think it's probably very similar to jumping or, you know, that ability to, to follow that horse's movement. But you look at some other disciplines um, where it just baffles me that they just don't we're not structured. Yeah. yeah. Is that the right I, I think yeah. the, the Europeans, and I think, you know, um, Andrea Fapani has mm. all of that European mm-hmm. education behind him and, you know, I total admiration someone can move into another country of a sport that's their own mm. and be as successful. And I think structure um, and discipline are two really important things. You know, and those calluses and the, on your hands and the dirt under your fingernails, mm. you know, they're really important into that. And Australia typically hasn't had structure. You're absolutely right. You know, we took, going back to the paddock, the, the horses that we jumped on. Mm. So we've, we've certainly tried to provide that here. And I've got two really good examples of that. Um, one of our clients that's been with us for some time, he came to us, wanted to show cutting horses. And I watched him trot. And I told him he needed to learn to ride first. Um, He's now vice president of one of our national associations um, and said to him that basically he probably should learn to ride a reining horse before he learned to show a cutting horse because he'd probably get flung off to the side. Mm -hmm. Um, Another example was um, another youth rider who ended up being on the Youth World Cup team. She wanted to show reiners, so I suggested that she did horsemanship first um, and she's someone that you've already already mentioned has a now has a beautiful seat and has been very very successful um, we were fortunate enough to provide an opportunity with her from the gentleman that was going to go cutting <laughs> was able to lease her a horse <laughs> to go raining ah, I know um, exactly who we're talking about <laughs> and it was a great success story yeah no that's really it's really amazing watching those those young riders come through and and you've definitely supported some fantastic uh, who professionals now um, and it's a real testament to your program what you know these riders come out on the other side with a, a good work ethic um, a, a probably a, a good horse training skill set but also smart business people that's something I really admire and what you guys do here is it, it's very much a professional business and it's sometimes easy in the horse game to blur that line of um, you know professional relationships and you know them becoming your friends which you know you obviously want to be you know we don't not want to be friends with our clients but 
um, it, that can sometimes cause um, issues I've found in the past where all of a sudden, you know, they've got to pay their bill and they haven't and they're like, oh, but, you know, they've been over here, you know, having dinner and, and you, then it feels awkward to ask them to pay their bill um, or, you know, something happens. And, you know, yourself, how have you kind of managed that um, to, to keep everything above board and keep it as a professional operation where you don't let, you know, what happens down at the stables come into your home at night? That, that one's really easy because um, anyone who knows me knows that I'm quite a strong person. Um, I'm a very positive person. And values have been at the centre of our business always. And I, I think honesty, integrity, you know, if, if a horse isn't going to make it, if a horse is injured, I will call the owner. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone hasn't paid their bill, well, I'll let them know. Um, and I think valuing people and staying true to your values, I think you know, that conversation of an unpaid bill is really just a conversation. It's just communication. As a younger trainer, it's very awkward. You know, I think anyone finding their first week of a job asking their employer for their pay is awkward. But we know that we've done the work. And as we said before, that the services are greater than the income. So we know that we deserve it. So we can happily say we need to sort this account out because we've got to be we've got to be able to provide yeah we've got bills to pay too absolutely we've got to be able to feed your horse and yeah. and knowing just that you know the truth and having the values of being open and communicating um, and and certainly about the line as well we're very selective to take on clients that share the same values i i think if you can recognize that first up um, and remember that, you know, we can have a positive impact and shape other people around us as well. So we don't always have all of our values are aligned, but we can also have an influence on each other and, and develop values. You know, we can develop values that our clients have and our clients can develop values that we have. And should they not match, have a conversation. You know, mm-hmm. really everything comes down to communication. Um, we have excluded clients before. We've, we've always included clients Um, But I think the more you know yourself and the more you stand by your values when things happen, then you can feel comfortable in yourself, your own integrity, your your honesty. Yeah. So we were chatting a little bit earlier about um, it because it is being a horse trainer, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, we get into it because we love horses, we want to be around horses and we think that, you know, we're going to make an income doing something that we love, which is, you know, um, we're really blessed to be able to do something like that. But there are a lot of things that come with that that can be very challenging, um, things that I've experienced myself. And we were chatting before about, you know, uh, mental health is such a big thing these days and you are a very strong person. You're a very, you know, you're very black and white. You'll just say it as it is and it, it, that's, it is what it is. Not everyone operates like that and um you know how yourself how do you manage to keep in a good mental state when things maybe don't go to plan or you know whether a horse doesn't perform the way we anticipated it to or you know the owner isn't happy with the results or we were talking before you know people love you know the social media rants or you know telling their friends things and and you know it's not as a person that genuinely is trying to do the best they can when people try and, yeah, misrepresent your personality like that like, and you know that that's not true, like how do you yourself, been in this a very long time, how do you work through that and, and just keep that professionalism? For the most part, it's taking control of your mind and having a, a positive mind and I don't like thinking negative thoughts. If, if I think negative thoughts, I feel bad and, you know, I, I want to enjoy every day. Mm-hmm. So I try and structure my mind in, in a positive way. 
Um, and I think if I don't feel positive, you know, communicating it, you know, to, to be able to say to someone, what you're asking of me is not reasonable. Yeah. What you're asking of your horse is not reasonable. Um, what do I think is reasonable? And then to, to share them my truth. And in that situation, and I love to be wrong, if someone says, hey, you said my horse wasn't going to work out, I took it away for three years and I worked on it till it worked out. That is the best news. I'm not resentful of that. You know, a negative mind would be resentful. A positive mind is congratulations. That is so good. I'm so happy for you and I'd, I'd love to see it. And quite often I do get to see that, you know, when I'm judging as well. Mm. It's funny you say that. I've had that a couple of times happen where you've, you you make a, a judgment on a horse for someone and say, you know, I don't think it's going to be suitable for what you want or I don't think it's going to do the things that you want it to do or maybe it's unsafe for you and... Yeah, I, I've had someone come back and pretty much tell me that I was a liar because I said that the horse was unsafe and it's the best horse ever. And I'm like, I am so glad that it you proved me wrong. Absolutely. But it's, it's a funny, yeah, sometimes people get their nose out of joint when you when you genuinely try and um, have their best interests at heart and they, yeah, you may be not telling them what they want to hear. But And there are times when people will pack the horse up and leave. Um, but I, I've always found, and I guess it's from being in it long enough, that... When you tell the truth, they'll consider it. And quite often those clients will come back with, mm-hmm. with a different horse. Yeah. And, and that, a better yeah. opportunity for themselves and, and for you and for the horse. Yeah. It is, it's a tough one telling people that their horse isn't maybe cut out for the job that they have dreamt that it's going to be. And, and um, I know that can be, you know, as a, as a horse owner myself, if someone said to me, like, you know, your horse isn't going to cut it when I had this vision of him being, you know, a national futurity champion – it's a hard pill to swallow, but I think what people need to remember is like you do genuinely have their best interests at heart and you want what's best for them and their horse. So when we say these things, it's genuinely coming from a place of, you know, concern and care, not, uh, you know, your trainer trying to be nasty or undermine you. It's genuinely because, you know, it's expensive to have a horse in training. And at the end of the day, yes, we've got to make an income, but we want, you know, we want to do the right thing for the people as well. So um, I think, yeah, it's it's interesting the way that people react to, to not hearing what they want um, and getting an honest opinion sometimes, you know, but then you see those trainers that just everyone, it's amazing, the horse is going to win everything and then you watch these people get burnt because they just, you know, empty their bank account to train this horse that is never going to be what they want them to be. Yeah. So so one of those conversations that we have is in our contract and I think our, our training contract reflects all the mistakes we've ever made or our clients yeah. have made with us. But one of them is, is, you know, is this horse an open horse or a non-pro horse or is it both? Um, and to understand that depending on what their choice is, that that can change. But also throughout the year that that conversation can change. And, Mm. you know, we don't always necessarily go back and change the contract because that really was the intent to start with. But an open horse might go to a non-pro horse and a non-pro horse might become an open horse. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... um yeah, it's interesting working with, you know, different people with um, different aspirations and, you know, you guys have such an array of different horses here. Are you more leaning towards the reining as your is that your main we'll call it source of income is it reining horses or have you guys got a pretty solid mix of the all-rounders i would say it, you know like it, it changes from year to year mm-hmm. uh, probably because of the breeding program that we've got here now you know showing our own lines as well it's probably two-thirds to to one-third um, but i do enjoy the diversity and like we talked about before there's skills in each discipline um, you know, we like jumping as well, um, <laughs> something from our childhood. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we like cutting, we like cow horse, we like 
pleasure. We like trail. We mm-hmm. love raining. Um, so I'd say at the moment, just because of our breeding program, we're probably two thirds. But generally, we're half half. But I really um, think in business you need to be very diverse. And I've always let our clients choose what sort of horses they want to send to us. So, you know, we've never been restrictive. Um, in fact, you know, talking about the finding the right path, the right horse, we've had a pleasure horse sent here before that um, jumped out of its paddock and we decided mm. that it really didn't have any natural ability for the pleasure and maybe we should hunt a hacker at the Nationals and it won a title. Yeah, right. That's unreal, isn't it? I, I guess here in Australia as well, it would be difficult to pigeonhole yourself into just being a only a reigning horse trainer as much as it is a, you know, a, a strong discipline here. It I don't think there's enough clients that want to have reining horses in training to justify that being all that you do. So I think from a business point of view, it's very smart that you can cater to all those different disciplines because if you were, yeah, relying on just the reiners, I just don't think that there's quite enough of them to go around. Would you agree with that? For sure. Predominantly our sort of reining futurity clients have been breeders. Um, what we're finding now is a lot more non-pros. You know, we understand so much of the science of horses now available to us. People know how to breed now and, mm. and they're breeding themselves. You know, decades ago you would walk into a big stud, look at their paddock of yearlings and pick one out. And now, you know, people have great performance mares. We can AI embryo flush them and people had to breed their own. So we're getting some of the non-pros breeding their own horses now and sending them through. So that's great to see too. And I think, you know, when you have a positive connection with your clients, that's what inspires you to work, you know, above and beyond. Um, You know, reality is I'm 50 years old. I still work seven days a week. You know, none of those days are under 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I love it. I love the work. There's certainly days, you know, like today. (laughs) You'd rather be inside. (laughs) You'd rather be inside. And thank you for providing the opportunity. I'm so glad to share the time with you because... The reality is we just don't, don't sit down. Yeah. Um, you know, when people chat about TV shows, I've got no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's definitely a luxury that I think some people don't, um, yeah, don't realise how much time and effort goes into running, uh, you know, an establishment like you've got it, whether, you know, it, your situation, the smaller barns, like it, it is a 24-7 job. You've got to be, yeah, can't miss a day. <laughs> they, you know, they've got to be fed every day, so you've got to be here every day, sun, rain, hail, you're out there looking after them. Um, Going back to your breeding program, so you've got some unbelievable horses in your barn and your your paddocks, I'm sure, you know, probably many futurity champions over the next few years are probably out there right now. But to me, the... I don't know, you've had a lot of successful horses over the years, but your stud horse knew too much, Axel. We've all seen him. He's a phenomenal athlete. Do you feel like he has been a real turning point for you guys in terms of, um, you know, producing that kind of next level horse? And and did you always plan to keep him and and, um, promote him as a stud stud horse? Tell me a bit more about Axel. You just know. You just know. Um, You know, his temperament's um, impeccable. You know, it's actually been difficult now that he's a, you know, a breeding stud is he's always knickered. He, He was that yearling that would always chat to you. You know, um, and he still does now. If I go in to, into his pen to pat him, he knickers. You know, just that sometimes the hormones kick in and it turns into this giant roar. And, you know, <laughs> you know I, his stone handle will laugh. You know, he's, he's a very vigorous stud when he's at the breeding barn. Mm. And he's a very vigorous stud when he's in the show pen. But outside of that, he's a Labrador puppy. And, um, you know, watching his little knicker is almost like, like watching the Lion King evolve. <laughs> 
kids, but he's he, what would he be? Be fourteen, all of about fourteen. One, fourteen. Got a good day. He's not really big. He's got a big presence though. Um, so, what was it about him that when you know you you guys bred him here, he's out of the mares at Hustling Holly? Yeah. So he, he um, what does what made me really excited about him is he's the third generation that we've bred, you know, your breed mare, breed down, breed mare. So, you know, he's the third generation that so um I knew we were starting to get onto something once we got into those three levels and it's so exciting now. We've had some great opportunities. Um and particularly, you know, from another mentor and, and colleague in Ian Waldron, you know, being so insightful, you know, bringing out the first reigning horses in the country. I'm still in total admiration of his prowess and He's an incredibly positive person too, and I think anyone that's worked with Ian also knows that he makes you believe in yourself. Mm. Um, you know, when I started in reigning, I was a non-pro, and Ian would invite people down to Opal Park Stud to ride, and just for the enjoyment of he enjoyed educating people. And I remember saying to him, Ian, uh, you know, I've, I've been a non-pro for a year or, or so. Uh, I want to ride like a professional, and he just said, "Let's do it," you know, and. Australia was never really a positive, encouraging, you know, that tall poppy thing. Mm -hmm. And he, that was not him. He grew poppies. I, you know, he watered and put the sunlight on all of us that, that spent time there. He, he's been a very influential person, Ian Waldron. He imported some studs that have really shaped reigning horses here in Australia. Whistle a melody, um, you know, we've... I think everyone in the country has probably had a whistle of melody uh, at some point or another. And, um, you know, those mares have gone on to be great producers, probably not as good in the show pen, a little bit uh, fiery. Um, but I've met Ian later in, you know, he he's not reigning anymore, um, but he still comes to some of the shows. And even myself, like I, you know, um, went up and introduced myself to him because I knew who he was and has all the time in the world to, to talk to you about anything and, and such a supportive person and you know people talk very fondly of you know when he had Opal Park and, and the things he used to do so um yeah another really great person that just shows that you know you've had those those fantastic mentors around you. So the, yeah there certainly has been some wonderful mentors um the other person I had the privilege of spending time with was Martin Larkham mm -hmm. um very early you know in Martin's career here where Martin didn't talk, uh, I'm sure he does now, <laughs> and uh, just recently did a clinic with his sister, Shauna, and I'm sure that Martin's doing clinics now and coaching, but had the privilege of just riding with Martin and, yeah. again, would just watch. And I think at the end of the day I could ask him a question or two that he'd answer in a word or two, <laughs> but, you know, th that was enough. You know, he has great timing and, and feel, um, an incredible horse, and so very privileged to have spent time with, with Ian um, Max and also Martin as well. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Martin Larkham um, is a, an Australian reigning trainer in America. He is million dollar... I think just recently. I think he just recently. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as far as Australian horse trainers go, like he's really gone over there and, and um, really doing fantastically well. Um, so I've done a clinic with him myself as well. It would be amazing to spend more time um, but again, another a great mentor for you. That just you know you've had some some really yeah exceptional people in your corner. So yeah, after having gone down to that quarter horse mm. show and watched till the end of the day the raining, and um, it was then that I looked for okay, well where's a raining clinic? Where can you learn? And it just so happened there was a Martin Larkin raining clinic come up, and and that's how I met Martin. And the horse I took to the clinic, he said, "How old's your horse?" And I said, three. And he goes, "Okay, we'll train for the futurity." You said, what's a futurity? That's exactly what I said. What is a futurity? Um, 
so the very first show that I entered, the um, rules were a little bit different back then. Uh, went to go, had a snaffle on, went to go through the gate two-handed, thinking I had a snaffle on, and um, at the gate they told me I had to ride one-handed. So my, my first ever reigning class was one-handed in a snaffle. And how did that go? I can't remember for sure. <laughs> I remember a red or a blue ribbon. I can't remember. I'm not going to say which one it was because I can't remember precisely, but went pretty good. That's, that's unreal. It's... um. Yeah, <laughs> crazy to think when you look back at when you started. I know when I first started raining, I had to go professional because I had a riding school and I had no idea how to rein. I was on a horse that didn't have a lead change, just a basic quarter horse. And I very quickly had to, to learn that I had to step up because yeah, if you if you want to um, get a score, essentially, you have to be able to ride one-handed. And it's, a, it's an amazing skill I think going and, and riding that style, that because you don't realise, I think coming from that background that we both did, like riding the Yachuga sales ponies, yep. you don't realise how much you you've pull, pull, and pull, pull and kick. Yeah, it, it, and it, it really finesses your riding, um, that ability to, to show like that. And it's, um, yeah, I, I just couldn't imagine another discipline that I'd like to do. I just think reining is, and all, all the Western disciplines, I guess, it's just a, a real um, beautiful art form of, of riding it's very um the horses like it I think I feel like it's a much kinder I think it allows a horse a lot of freedom I think you know the biomechanics of the mm. horse once you set a horse down between hand and leg they're free to move to their own capacity mm. um because you have that loose rein um I, I know earlier in our career we were always condemned by other professionals for riding with so much leg and I think the industry's evolved and there's a little more understanding but I've always had the thought that you've got two legs in one hand mm. so of course you mm. would ride with more leg you yep. know and so much communication comes through your leg in your seat and going back to that equitation and you know the aids and the communication that's where that comes from um you know and going into that second year as, as a non-pro um had another futurity horse and I liked the idea of the three-year-olds by then. Um, so went in and ran a score and I really actually don't even understand what the score meant. And I said to Martin, oh, there's a runoff. What does that mean? <laughs> Martin said to me, as literal as Martin is, go in and do exactly the same thing. Yeah. So I did that and got exactly the same score and came second. Oh, so I just got a bit harder. <laughs> at this point I might read the rule book and that's probably what inspired me to become a judge, you know, eventually as well. Yeah. So you've got a lot of um, additional qualifications. You are you were an AQHA judge or an NRHA judge? Have been an NHA worldwide judge, yep. not currently. Yep. Just I'm time limited, as yep. you can imagine. Um, so I've just upheld my AQHA AA and ranch versatility. Mm -hmm. And are those the only judging that you do? Yes. Yep. And they're pretty much the spare weekends when we're not clinic, coaching, showing. <laughs> when you could be staying home. <laughs> So, Kate, let's delve a little bit more into you. <laughs> um, obviously, working really hard is hard on you physically. Um, I think the <laughs> the positions we, we put ourselves in to do this job, it, it, people don't realise the wear and tear on your body. So you've had some major surgery in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm pretty sure for riding so many horses a day for from the age of well probably 16 I would have ridden at least four horses a day 
six, seven days a week, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, going from non-professional to professional, you know, to you need at least 10 horses to, to cover your expenses. <laughs> so just that's, that's a lot of riding. And as you all know, there's probably half an hour attached to every hour of work, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning stables, hauling feed, yep. you know, all of those things are pretty physically demanding. And back then we didn't know about the bend your knees and lift. And <laughs> yeah. we also didn't have machine. We were very fortunate now, you know, to have a lot of um, access to machinery. Uh, but back then everything was pick it up and haul it. Mm -hmm. So things do wear out. You know, I, I quite often look at my jeans and <laughs> how they fade and think, my God, my skin endures that. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, how, does, how does my skin, how does my body last when, you know, you're lucky if you get three months out of a pair of boots? Yeah. And you certainly can't go out in your jeans after you've been training in them. No, yeah, it's um, it's unreal what, you know, what our bodies <laughs> do endure. And it's, um, yeah, a, a very... Um, the wear and tear long term, I think, you know, we don't probably think about it at the time. Like if it is a young person, like as kids, we, you, know, you get bucked off, you get back on. Or as you get older, falling off doesn't, uh, <laughs> you don't bounce quite like we used to. But um, how you had a hip replacement a couple yeah, of years right. ago. And how has that, like how did that affect you leading up to that? Because I know, you know, and I've, I've had issues with my hips as well before and it, that is excruciating especially to ride what did that do like when you're in that position how did you balance keeping you know the business running because if you're not on the back of the horse you're not making an income um you know tell me about how you navigated that it is a shock <laughs> you know you who you are how you see yourself is so tied up in what you do mm -hmm. and it's a big challenge when you think well what if I have to stop because you know the doctors tell you you should stop mm. So I want, I'm more of a solutions person, so I'm like, well, what are the treatment options? So basically I just worn my hip joints out. And um, when I was younger, I was a kickboxer. I think there's a little bit of wild in every horse rider. And that <laughs> yeah. was one of the great ways that I expressed it as well. Um, and I absolutely loved to box. But I think now looking in hindsight, you know, the concussion on your knuckles and on your hips and on your knees, yeah. as well as combined with, you know, absorbing the movement, you know, our, our hip joint takes all of that movement. Um, and I think there's only so much movement that it can take. The hips became increasingly painful. But again, you know, you're loving it so much, you override it. But then there is a point where, and I just saw your nose crinkle up. <laughs> I know, I know in the pain. <laughs> and I, I can kind of do that my that face now too. You're like, you're trying to enjoy it, but you just can't because it damn well hurts. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, when you, and, and riding, especially at the level that you're, you know, bringing these horses along to, if you're in pain, you can... I feel like you ride a little bit defensively because you're sort of trying to guard yourself from not, um, you're not hurting, but that I really find implicates your ability to, to train at a, at a high level because your body, you know, you maybe can't manoeuvre the way that it needs to, to actually train the horses. So it, you know, you can push through the pain for a bit, but it, it will, it will not only you'll be in pain, but it will affect your training ability so you know it's super important to look after yourself particularly when we ride with so much leg and mm. so much of our communication is is through the leg um and I just have to interrupt there because we've just had a little guest uh, <laughs> our cocktail maker our co has arrived absolutely <laughs> so steph when you said that you know it's the cocktail podcast <laughs> um i'm actually just a, a whiskey drinker which i thought was a little simple um so the only cocktail i actually really drink is one that someone I met in the industry um, made, makes for me. I was going to say made, but I, it's current. She still makes them for me. 
So this is a great friend of mine, and I think this is you know something that dispels the hard work is some of the people that we meet. Yeah. Because yes, there's there's challenging people, but they're always someone you can learn from. But there's also amazing people, and and our bartender today is one of those. Um, we just talked about, you know, there's a little bit of wildness as riders. It's going to make all of us smile. You're probably hearing the cups get put down just there. The copper cups. <laughs> so um, that day that I went down to that Yarra Valley Arena, um, I sat on the fence. Um, you know, I hadn't been to a show before. I didn't know what you weren't allowed to do. Um, and I turned around and there was someone else there sitting on the fence. And it was one of those, hey. <laughs> what are hey. you doing here? <laughs> And uh, we're sort of pretty much friends since then. And I do remember someone telling us to get down from the fence. And uh, she's going to be laughing already. <laughs> You'll be after you hear this too. So this friend of mine that I didn't know was a friend at the time turned around to them and said, do you know who I am? When she was asked to get down from the fence. Oh, God. <laughs> and I thought, that is one cool kid. That's got to be a friend of mine. <laughs> and um, we've been friends ever since. So Jade was, from that day sitting down at that arena, was my best friend from from that pen um and one of my other best friends so you know I'm fortunate enough to say that I've got two best friends in the world and and the other one um I coached uh she no longer rides um but she's now my sister-in-law oh that's unreal isn't it it's amazing the people that you meet so for those who haven't cottoned on Jade Spicer has just entered the building she has been our designated bartender for the day um Jade herself is a very accomplished horsewoman and um yeah has shown a, a lot with a lot of success over the years and also is a, we'll call it probably very entrepreneurial, uh, has runs a few business. Equine ID Solutions is a fantastic company that you can get custom plates for your stables, paddocks, anything that you can print on. So there's a little free plug there for you, a little custom, custom ID solutions. Um, so Kate, wrapping things up here a little bit, what, where do you see, you know, in the next 10 years, like what, what's the plan? Are you, you know, obviously you don't want to have to ride forever. You know, like obviously you'd like to keep riding, but kind of do, but um, well, you do, but do you want to listen at some point? Do you want to have 53 horses in, in the paddocks for the next 10 years all the time? Like, is that the plan? Probably not. I'd probably like to refine it. Um, You probably noticed already, you know, I'm not very self-focused and really this business is about opportunities for other people, you know, for owners, for people riding, um, for other trainers, for upcoming professionals. And I'd I'd really like to continue that part of it. I'd like to continue coaching. I'd like to continue developing other professionals to provide this as a training facility for for other trainers as well. Um, But very passionate about my breeding. So I'd love to continue breeding performance horses for people at all levels as well. So you've got, we talked about Axel, knew too much. Have you got any other stud prospects on the way? You might have driven past one. Uh, I've got a, a... yearling that I've kept that way till now and you know colts are an ongoing decision <laughs> it's always that <laughs> muck up one time buddy <laughs> um, but I've also just had a, a fold this year um, who I've already got my eye on mm-hmm. and as I said to you with new too much that you just know and particularly this this fold that's on the ground you just know um for those of us that follow, for those of you that follow us on Facebook, you might have seen a picture of motorbike boy. <laughs> which, <laughs> so not horse person, but motorbike boy out in the paddock with with that colt. Yeah. You know, he's very interactive, and you know, I, I want that connection with the horse. Um, I always think the most amazing connection is 
is an avatar when the body the horse's body feels like part of yours and um if i get that sense from them on the ground you know from falls up they're, they're keepers so could you divulge their breeding to us? Who who we might we see? So they... the junior sire you might see at break day over the next <laughs> few years um, is out of Wizard Me. Mm-hmm. So that's um, the phenomenal Palomino mare that Lana has shown and you showed to great success as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, and by are going to be a big star. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a particularly special little colt. We um, had a reset. He was from a reset. We had a reset last year and wasn't a successful foaling. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's a- So this was a rebreed. So I think, you know, when, when you've been given a second chance at something, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a great opportunity. But he himself has an amazing presence and is very interactive and very personal. And they're all the things that I look for. You yeah. know, but before we even go to form to function athleticism. So you've got a, a lot of um, international bloodlines in your barn at the moment. Are these, like, what draws you to these certain stallions that you've bred to? Because I must say, like, you... Uh, I feel like you guys sort of definitely breed for a specific type of horse um, to match up with mares. Like you, you know, like I said, you're very passionate about breeding. What are these sires that you put your mares to? What's drawn you to them? I'm very movement focused. Mm -hmm. Um, I like a smooth move. And I think um, if a horse finds things easy mechanically, um, that their mind's very willing to perform that. Um, and then they're smooth to ride. Yeah. And I, I think that's something particularly as we talk about, you know, evolving the business. I, I like a smooth horse. Well, it, it makes a big difference. And it is sometimes you see um, certain lines of horses, you know, like often the gunner bred horses that, you know, they can drag their ass, but the movement quality there it can sometimes be a little bit lacking. Um, but it's, you know, talking to a lot of people, I think people are very aware of that and they're trying to breed back to those, like you said, those athletic smooth moving horses to to bring back that finesse in their gait which at the end of the day all of those abilities are going to enable them to perform the maneuvers to a higher level is, is how i feel about for it for sure so. and you know soundness is is part yeah. of that ease of movement as well less concussion mm-hmm. um so good longevity i think that's really important for the non-pro it is expensive to invest in training and you want to make sure that you've got the time to enjoy it you know yeah. with soundness and correct confirmation as well yeah so who in your barn at the moment what um what um, sires or what breeding you know are the horses that you're riding at the moment Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe narrow it down to the rating horses, not the five thousand other ones you've got out there. Our bartender's laughing. <laughs> she's looking at me, thinking she'd be lucky if she can remember all their names in one city, <laughs> let alone pull one of their names out of a hat. Um, so, what are we riding? As in two-year-olds or three-year-olds, or any? Who's the standout? What? What? You know, is there any lines there that you're going? These are. I know. You, you know, Lana's riding a few Inferno sixty sixes. You're already on it. Yeah, mm. Lana's got a really special Inferno sixty six colt um, in her barn, and I've certainly got my eye on him for breeding two next year. Yeah, yeah. I've, I saw. Um, I think her in a training run on the two, she had two Infernos um, that were twins, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, embryo twins. Um, and very noticeable horses, like very athletic and a different style of horse, I think, to to me. Looking at them, I was like, they, they looked a lot more, yeah, physical. Um, and, it, yeah, it's cool to see now uh, Inferno's been a very popular style. You know, you couldn't get semen to him this year just gone because he was booked out. Um so, like, do you think that they're they're pretty special 
I do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how their futurity program folds out. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like the Wiz Foundation. Yeah. You know, I think because we're very considered writers, very detailed writers, I like the detail in, in the Wizards as well. So I'd like to keep all of that there. Um, and then we're just mindful about what's hot and what's cold as we <laughs> yeah. cross them out. You know, double cold's not good. Yeah. <laughs> and double hot's not good either. You know, just trying to find that perfect warm blood. Yeah, that's exactly it. So what have you got coming up this year um, for Charity Horses? I know you showed a few three-year-olds last year. The the buckskin horse that you guys showed, is he in the uh, program? He's derby horse he's this derby year. He's derby horse this yep. year, yep. He was just a really, that's our spooks got a whiz. He was just a really late maturer and just always respectful of each horse. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to be a better derby horse than a Futurity horse. So, But he's, he's ready to evolve this year. He's a pretty special horse. I, I watched... Um, I think you showed him. Did you show him? An, oh, Lana showed him an ARBC. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's only been shown twice. So yeah. once at ARBC, um, and one also down in Tachiri here in a futurity. And he yeah. just he wasn't quite finished yet. But yeah. we've taken him very very slowly. Yeah, but but uh, you can you know even when they're not finished, you could see. Um, yeah, he was he was quite a, a special horse. And you know, speaking of your futurity horses, Lana won the. Level four open futurity this year at the Oceana Championships on another homebred mare, um, and she was she is pretty special. I I thought um, watching her, and it was, you know, again that it's like each horse that you guys come out with, they're just you know whizzing at me, unreal. Then knew too much came out, and it was like, well, he's unreal. Brittany, is that her name? So yeah, Brittany. <laughs> Brittany. Brittany and, got her name. She was a bit of a sassy yelling. She yeah. was she owned the herd of yeah. foals when they were all weaned. Yeah. That's how she got her name. So she is out of Wizard Me mm-hmm. um, by little Joe Cash. Yeah. Um, you know, Wizard Me is a very dynamic horse and she likes to take charge in the show pen mm-hmm. and she brings her own energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so little Joe Cash was a perfect cross for for her. Um, and we, we've seen that in, in Brittany. She is, you know, just between your hand and leg when you go show her. She is a, a great mare to show. Yeah. So is Lana going to continue showing her next year or is she going on to her owners are going to show her? Or? She'll have a debut year with us and then she'll go on to her very excited owner. Yes, I know. There was a bit of um, discrepancy between father and daughter of who was going to ride her, I think. So <laughs> I don't blame them. She was, she's pretty special. Um, so... Yeah, we, we, I think we've uh, we've covered pretty much everything here today. I really appreciate you spending the time with me and being my first guest. This has been my first uh, time being a host on a podcast, so I really, really appreciate you being so open and um, honest with, with me. Um, yeah. I think it's great to bring energy to, to what we do and there's so many different ways to contribute and to allow others to come through and I'm... I, completely respected and admire the energy you brought to this you know it's always a challenge to put yourself out there whether it's as a trainer as a non-pro in the show pen and certainly on a podcast so I, I hope that people are inspired by what you're doing and I look forward to listening to further interviews that you do no thank you Kate and thank you so much for being part of this if you want to get any more information about uh connecting with the break it a team here at Glenburn in Victoria they are on all social media platforms they've got a website um or you can look up Kate Elliott on Facebook and she will uh, get in touch with you and help you with all your equestrian dreams. (laughs) All right, so to wrap things up, though, um, at the end of every episode we're about to start hooking into a few Moscow mules, but it wouldn't be time to drink if we didn't make a cheers. So my cheers for this episode is if water was beer and I was a duck, I'd swim my way down and drink my way up, but 
Water isn't beer and I'm not a duck, so let's take this shot and get... <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>